1: Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and so leg like Show. This is episode 101, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Missed our nine-year streak without a bad day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow his work for The Draft Network at thedraftnetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin
2: Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, big show today. How are you doing, brother? Hello. Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. I appreciate you asking. If my voice sounds a little rough to everybody, uh, I'm not sick. I'm not tired. I don't have allergies. I just went to attend a wedding this past weekend and – When I go to weddings, I cry a lot. Um, I was a plus one for this wedding. I wasn't even... I knew the bride. I did not even know the groom. Last time I saw the bride was like four or five years ago. Cried the whole time. Goodness. Like a soft little (laughs) sponge of happiness. That's just... That's insane. You
1: cry for... You're so emotional for everything. Listen.
2: Poor little guy. Orthodox (laughs) weddings are very beautiful. Very spiritual. (laughs) very. And you will maybe learn this if you're invited to my wedding, which I haven't even decided yet. So... Oh... Yeah, exactly. Wow. So watch yourself and say nice things about me on the
1: internet. You know, that's never gonna happen. That's never been part of our working relationship, Ben. That's not we're not we're not doing that. But what oh, we wow. are doing is we're doing an eye on the enemy, our third installment. We've already done the New York Giants, the Washington Redskins, they are bad. Let's get to a team that we think I think we think actually might be uh good this year. We're gonna be talking about yes. the Dallas Cowboys potential nfc east contender for the philadelphia eagles really the only one in the division that we see that could probably contend and we're going to talk about it we're going to get into all the details offense defense coaching staff so let's talk about this cowboys coaching staff first let's get right into it because there's a lot to talk about here because if i think if i had to rank the four head coaches in the east i think i'd go doug peterson jay gruden then jason garrett and in the last place of course is mr fiery under the covers pat Shermer.
2: i'm not even positive like like you say like four of course Shermer. I'm not even positive Shermer's like I'm that like it's close for me.
1: <laughs> I don't wow. hate
2: Shermer. It's my like he's my guilty pleasure. I don't hate him.
1: Yeah. So uh, at the same time, if if I'm looking to like draft and develop a defensive player, I look at Rob Marinelli, I look at Ben Bloom, the linebackers coach there, I look at Chris Richard, and I think I can get away with spending less high value capital, whether it be draft or free agency on the defensive side of the ball and get really good return on my investment comparative to what other teams would net around the league. So there's the draft and develop aspect of it. And Jeff Cavanaugh, who was on with me for a prequel to this preview, had a great point about them kind of redoing how their war room works, the way their board works in conjunction with their coaching staff and all of that. So I absolutely recognize the positional guys on the defensive side of this coaching staff beyond Jason Garrett himself. I think they're excellent. But just as far as the head coach goes, Jason Garrett, would you – so you think that Shermer and Garrett are closer and you think they're at the the bottom half of the division as far as the way you rank them?
2: Garrett is bad, right? Like we're here on this. Are you disagreeing with me on this?
1: On a scale of one to seven, if I were to grade him like a player, like a player's trait, he would be anywhere from marginal to adequate. So anywhere from two to three.
2: I mean Garrett has had great rosters. Tony Romo,
1: uh, Hall of Fame quarterback. Great the
2: rosters. They've drafted and developed – incredibly well the division has been competitive but it's this is not like a, a, a Patriots this is not like the Steelers right this is not like the Seahawks of the 2010s where like every year you knew somebody was winning the division you had to like catch up to them I mean they had so many opportunities in the post Donovan McNabb waning Eli Manning career Kirk Cousins era of the NFC East so 2011s through 15s 16. I guess 2012, 13, because he was Robert Griffin at that time. But anyway. And even last year, the East was weak. Yeah. Especially when the
1: Washington Redskins got banked up, and the Eagles were the 31st worst banked up team in the NFL team, uh, in the NFL too.
2: You've had an incredible opportunity. Firstly, and this is easy to forget, he was the team's offensive coordinator, right? For three seasons before he eventually takes over the head coaching job from Wade Phillips. Which, I mean... Looking back on that now, I mean, I would say Wade Phillips is a very strong defensive coordinator, but if he can't be your head coach, fine. But it's not even like their offense was very good when Garrett was the coordinator. He has yeah. produced average, uh, uh, average, average teams, average win-losses, very poor playoff performance. His number one most impressive quality is his labrador-like obedience to jerry jones from what i understand i mean i don't think this is like this is not groundbreaking it's not a secret right
1: yeah his his winning percentage is significantly less than wade phillips who he replaced
2: right he's I he mean, has not been great right which like we joke about the whole eight and eight but like they went three straight seasons of eight and eight they've had now now four of the last five seasons they've been above 500 but again and this is critical to note they've played in five playoff games and won two of them so he's two and three in the playoffs Just by having four or five winning seasons, the only season that was the offseason was the Romo to Prescott transition year, right? Where, Where Romo first went down. So with solid end of career Romo and good young rookie contract, very cheap Dak Prescott. Right. You could say they've made the playoffs in three of, I would say, let's say seven seasons of like really quality quarterback play, kind of washing away 2015. And they've only been able to get through the first round two out of those three times. And then he never made it further. Yeah. And then you have Gil Brandt putting their team as the second best roster in the league, just behind the Eagles, right? And like, I, gonna say, I yeah. don't agree. But the cow, like that's the thing is, like we are again for like we do these previews every year, and so I always remember past years. We are again talking about a very good Cowboys roster, and yet I am again like, yeah, I don't think they're going to challenge the Eagles for the division because I don't. I have no faith in like, like he's not aggressive. They don't make the the first ever strong in-season personnel move they've made was Amari Cooper last year, so that's new. But he's not an aggressive coaching style. I do not think he does a good job uh, in terms of like balancing his stars and keeping everybody happy. The Dak Prescott contract situation is going to be fascinating, as we've talked about many times. I don't see him as particularly inspiring when it comes to. You know, week 18, week 19, wildcard, divisional round plays. Like, I don't see him, like, as, like, like, a firecracker guy. You know what I mean? Like, like Jason Garrett. who Jason Garrett's been a head coach for nine years, Mike. They haven't made a championship game.
1: He doesn't have to do anything with the defense either. That's Marinelli. That's Richard, That's the, you know, the passing game coordinators, the run game coordinators. That, that, that's all them. He was the offensive coordinator, now a head coach, and now an offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. a new one, is supposed to save this team. Like, what does Garrett actually do?
2: And that's the thing is like Dallas is inherently in and of itself exciting because it's America's team and because it's Jerry Jones and because of the the allure around the Dallas Cowboys. And so it's not like, you know, uh, Garrett has to do something like you know, McVay does where like the Rams are moving from St. Louis to Los Angeles. The extent to which Los Angeles is going to be a football town is like up in the air. And so the Rams have this huge amount of uh, like they're, they're, they have a giant hat hung on McVay in the sense of like so much of attracting free agents and getting fans excited and generating revenue is about like McVay and him being young and him being the next Belichick and whatever. We'll talk about that later. Gary doesn't have to do any of that because you have Jerry Jones and you have the allure that is the Dallas Cowboys, right? Like every year the Dallas Cowboys get hyped yeah. in the in the offseason because they are the Dallas Cowboys. That's just what you do with the Cowboys. The, for as long as I've been alive and I can remember the Dallas Cowboys, every year we think they're gonna be better than they end up being. Like just perennially. You know what I mean? I I can't remember I, like every and every year they get to the, if they get to the playoffs, they disappoint. Like, you know, this is just what what I've known for the Cowboys. But they they have that allure to them. It's not dissimilar to the Lakers in the NBA in the sense that like the Lakers management of personnel and how they've handled these past couple of off seasons and getting LeBron, and everything like they just keep on messing up and falling bass backwards into really good acquisitions because they're just the Lakers. Like it's just, there's just it's exceptionalism and the Cowboys have a sense of exceptionalism. So you can get away with a head coach like Garrett who is you know vanilla ice cream on white bread with low sodium butter it's just like so you know (laughs) vanilla it's just so yeah it's plain but he's going to continue to be an issue because they're going to continue to be good enough to challenge for the wild card challenge for the division get into the playoffs you know have like these winning seasons get into the playoffs and then continue to disappoint when they're there
1: hot seat all the time for him. Ends up going 10-6 and six last year. when the NFC East title and what was a pretty down year for the division. Won a playoff game. Not trying to take anything away. That's just how it works sometimes. Bad in the red zone as an offense. They're hoping to get a facelift, like I mentioned, in promoting Kellen Moore to offensive coordinator. It's a bold move. This is a guy who played, kind of, in the league. Only 104 career attempts. But played from 2012 to 2017. One year mm-hmm. as a quarterback's coach. Now promoted. Replaces Scott Linehan. And Linehan, by the way, if you let Cowboys Twitter tell you is responsible for like every natural disaster and war in the last 4000 years. But the reason for the Cowboys fans to be optimistic for Kellen Moore and Dan Orlovsky recently pointed this out on Mina Kimes show, quote, this is going to be an offense that is going to consistently move where Dak is throwing the ball from. That's kind of a catchphrase. Change the launch point. I also expect to see some really unique pre-snap motions and movements and shifts. And trying to do things that are somewhat simple from an X and O scheme standpoint, but always constantly changing the dress up of it. There's going to be some college aspect to it. I would anticipate Zach being used as a runner more, unquote. Now, there's a few components to that. But number one, you're talking about pre-snap coverage indicators, which help the quarterback. You're also talking about something that Doug Peterson is talking about, running the same plays. But with some window dressing, change the looks, not being so predictable, despite going to the well on certain concepts and schemes, you can do that. If you give them different looks, you're also talking about using Dax legs, not only in the run game, but in the passing game where you change his launch points. That's something for the life of me, I couldn't figure out. Why they didn't change his launch points more. Dak's a mildly accurate quarterback. All the analytics point to this. With herky-jerky movements in the pocket that get him in trouble and invite pressure unnecessarily. Huge point. point. 56 sacks allowed by this Cowboys line. And Dak brought a lot of that on himself. So don't try to force him to be... What he isn't, get him out there in space. Let him use his legs. It's his best asset. I've written about it, and I've talked about this before, before the change with Moore. And it's something that I believe can help Dak. But before we get too far in the weeds on Dak, because we definitely will, I think, like I said, there's a reason with Moore for optimism in Dallas with that change. What do you think?
2: Kellen Moore, there's a lot to unpack here which I said, like, oh, like you know, you're you you, uh, you, know, you you're Dallas, you don't need to have a Sean McVay. Well, when you hire a 28-year-old offensive coordinator who's been a quarterback coach for like a year, you're following the Sean What's McVay model. Yeah. Uh, and so this is like, you <laughs> know, like very young and what you anticipate being very creative, right, and very unique. And, and And we should really, really highlight something here. I do not think there's going to be a significant shift in the concepts that the Cowboys run. I think Moore is going to bring more college stuff, absolutely. But as we've seen from a lot of teams over the past like fifteen years, I wouldn't even say the past five years, college offense. No, no, like, uh, over the past like significant chunk of time, incorporating the college offense is is less about like moving to a college offense and more about finding college plays that have analogous concepts and analogous philosophies to the offensive philosophy under which you're already operating and marrying them, right, and meshing them. And that requires a deft hand. We don't know if Kellen Moore has it. But, you know, you don't want to be out there running, you know, the Cowboys, like, Air Coriel offense, and then, like, randomly just running Lincoln Riley spread stuff with no cohesion, right? It doesn't make any sense. You're going to have very clear tendencies, you know, and, and it's it's going to be like running two separate offenses. That's not going to be helpful. So they're going to stay in the Air Coriel style offense, which means they're going to continue running deep downfield isolation routes. And now they have a guy right. like Amari Cooper. So now we expect Dak to be able to hit more of them. And with Amari Cooper, Dak was more successful. Um. They're going to continue having widespread alignments. Three, four wide receivers, continue putting Dak in the in the gun and asking him to read deep to the low of the area of the field from the pocket and expecting to be able to hit those throws, we're, you know, throwing with anticipation. This is something that Dak has struggled with. Like you, like you said, only a moderately accurate quarterback. So what does more bring then? Because I I really firmly don't believe it's all right. We were running Air Yellow under Scott hand now we're just going to run, like, the Boise State, you know, which Boise State was running, Coriel stuff. Like, we're just going to run the Boise State offense. It's going to be college. I think, number one, you have the ability to sequence things to make everything a lot easier for for Dak. And what I mean by that is, you know, last year the Cowboys were bottom third in the league in the amount of play-action passes that they ran, despite the fact that they ran the ball you know, so stupid. Uh, they were so they were 23rd in, in the percentage of pass play. So they ran the ball like eighth most in the league, ninth most in the league. Uh, 27.2 uh, play action pass that's below average, 20.8 pre snap motion it's below average. So we have a, a, a static offense that does not give its quarterback help by alignment and help by diagnosing scheme. You know, Everybody likes to talk about pre snap motion is how we diagnose scheme. Like, you know, all right, we, we you know, you move a running back from the backfield outside, the linebacker follows him, well, it's man coverage, right? But also pre snap motion can can force the defense into checks. Like the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles run base cover three. If you come out with an unbalanced set, if you come out with two wide receivers on one side of the formation, right? And none on the other side. And you motion the wider one of the two over to the other side, the Eagles will check the cover three. It's what they do. Right, and they're fine with it, but you can force them into into check coverages with motions. I mean that Jeremy Bates did with the Jets very successfully, It's something that Josh McDaniels has done very successfully, especially against the Rams for multiple years of the New England Patriots. When you're not incorporating pre snap motion, you're asking Dak Prescott to read the entire offense post, the entire defense post snap, and very frequently because of there's no play action pass, everybody's getting into their drops, either in zone or man coverage, as expected to. So you're working within the framework of the defense. You don't wanna do that. And so what Moore brings from the college is very often a, an ability to dictate, whether it's with pre-snap motion or with play action pass, dictate the, the defense's initial reaction, and thereby you make things easier for Prescott. I talked about isolation routes. We're going to talk about Prescott on third and fourth down, right? And on third and fourth and long because of that stupid quote, which was very in- innocuous, which got completely blown out of proportion. <laughs> well, if you go and you watch Cowboys third and fourth down and longs, which I did, you know, yesterday prep for the show, they're asking Prescott to take three step, five step and hitch into a one-on-one isolation route, which sure worked better when Amari Cooper was on the field, but when it was freaking Terrence Williams and, and Bryce Butler and, you know, washed Des <laughs> Bryant, yeah, it was a problem. It wasn't working. (laughs) You know, no one should be shocked about this. That's not a winning formula, especially when you're allowing the defense to play into that. You know, you're allowing them to to play into press man. You're not forcing motion. All of a sudden, you bring in a guy like a Tony Pollard, and now you have the opportunity. Okay, it's third and six. I don't have to throw the ball eight yards down the field. If I can get Pollard moving into space with a blocker in front of him, I can throw the ball four yards behind the line of freaking scrimmage. Who cares? You expect Pollard to be able to make this sort of a play in space, and so... Two primary concepts there that I believe more brings from a college perspective, you know, operating under college philosophies. And why, why are these college philosophies? Because quarterbacks are worse in college. There are 60 billion starting quarterbacks at the college level. There are 32 at the NFL. The 32 NFL ones are good. The 60 billion in college are not. So you have to find a way to make things easier on your quarterback. And you do that by generating pre or at snap reads by using play action pass by using pre-snap motion playing offense on your terms dictating to the defense and then number two when it comes to these isolation routes you expect them to be able to generate more space by using their athletes more creatively especially considering the addition of a guy like an Amari Cooper who obviously wins for you one-on-one so that's the big change I expect for more it's more philosophical than it is schematic it's more to be how we get into what we want to get into not actually changing what we want to get into now I don't think there is a higher right now with a greater range of outcomes, right? Like, we don't know anything about Kellen Moore. And critically—
1: Other than what he's told us, like, and that for any coach can be anything.
2: We didn't know anything about, like, Adam Gase, and then he became Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator, and oh, heck, like, Peyton Manning kind of freaking helps. We also don't know know a lot about Dak. Like, Dak is probably one of the most contentious quarterbacks in the league in terms of where exactly he falls— and so yeah. Moore and Dak figuring each other out, number one, is not something we should expect to happen by week one. Number two, we should be expecting the Dallas offense to get progressively better as the year goes on. But number two, like, calling and sequencing plays is not easy. You know, like, like the amount of, of work that goes into understanding NFL defense is such that you can get them into the checks you want to get them into do. That is not easy. And I, I, I have no reason to doubt Kellen Moore, but I have no reason to believe in Kellen Moore. So, like, right. it's exciting because it's not Linehan, but that's all I know. And so you you expect a step forward just by by an addition by subtraction, addition by omission of Linehan. Um but beyond that, I mean like it this is the most interesting thing in the world to me in terms of of of, of coordinator quarterback scheme, marriage and what exactly the cowboys gonna be. Obviously they'll also have like Cooper for the first year. It's very fascinating.
1: Yeah, and you bring up a lot of great points there. And you mentioned, you know, this being a, a running team that doesn't run play action towards the top of the league when you have a mobile quarterback where that would benefit him a lot and he's getting sacked a lot
2: and that's where it circles back to right. garrett like i'm not blaming linehan for yeah. that you're the head freaking coach
1: that's the offense you want like yeah. you you can put you can put you that can't in.
2: tell me there's nobody in that building who was like hey like what if we uh we faked handing it to Ezekiel elliott <laughs> more what and if that person's <laughs> not if that person <laughs> yeah. is garrett who's telling him no like yeah. that, that's that's where i like the that sort of stuff drives me off the wall.
1: And we talked about this with the Giants last year. They improved their their protection for Eli by running more play action from under center, mm-hmm. and it helped their offense. Right. And the Cowboys haven't done any of that. Haven't figured it out. And right. Dak is going to be much better than Eli on play action when you roll him out and stuff. Like I, I don't get why they would think that's not a good idea. Right.
2: And if we if we like transition a little bit here to the Dak conversation, which I want to let you talk yeah. about more if you want to, but like you brought up pocket presence with Dak. Biggest issue I see on film is pocket presence. Yep. Most of his inaccuracy stems from initial issues in his pocket presence, whether it's poor mechanics on the throw or...
1: Leading up to when he's yeah, moving.
2: exactly. Getting getting himself in bad spots because he mishandled the pocket. Yeah. Orlowski made this point as well, I believe, on the Mean show, which is extremely well taken. You play behind the 2016 Dallas Cowboys offensive line as a rookie. Boy, oh boy, you think that pocket's a comfy place. And then all of a sudden you're going to learn, <laughs> uh, you know, when a couple of free agents start leaving. Ramon Leary's gone. Yep. Leo Collins, Connor Williams, you got some young yeah. boys in there. Uh, and, and, and the pressure starts drastically increasing. Prescott's level of comfort in the pocket, his internal clock needs to increase. And his ability to make those short and small adjustments in the pocket to extend the pocket life by a half second, three quarters of a second, just to give himself a cleaner pat- platform to throw, is critical to his development. Big asterisk! And big asterisk yep. is... If Kellen Moore, like Scott Linehan, thinks that he can be a pocket passing quarterback. Because Scott Linehan treated Dak Prescott for three years like a pocket passer. And you and I both agree, young man can throw on the move and move. He's got good escapability. Pocket presence and escapability are two very different things. So if you want to make him into a primarily on-the-move passer, which I would argue you have in players like Russell Wilson. I would argue you have, like, even in a player, I mean, like, I've been watching a lot of young quarterbacks, but like Freddie Kitchens did it a lot with Baker Mayfield in terms of like, we just want these guys to be on the move. I shouldn't say Freddie Kitchens did a lot with Baker Mayfield. That's not accurate. But you can you can develop an offense around a guy move with a moving platform. It's not hard. It's being done more frequently in the NFL.
1: And you mentioned Freddie Kitchens and Freddie Kitchens t- took over an offense that was tops in taking sacks games one through eight. To least taken sacks from games nine through sixteen, they went from thirty three in the first half of the season to five in the second half of the season. It's the coaching, man. It's the same players. It's the coaching. Right. I
2: mean, and, and that's the thing is like, given the emphasis NFL defenses have on getting sacks, like your offensive line is a huge part of stopping that. But unless you have five bona fide starters, which Given the dearth of offensive line, especially offensive tackle talent, most teams do not. Yeah. And that's something that Eagles fans very often and easily forget. Like, we yeah. have five starters. We have four guys with Pro Bowl arguments and then Isaac Samalu, who has nice hair. Like, we have five yeah. starters. Most teams don't. As an offensive coaching staff, like, you need to start from a place of, okay, because we have a guy who's going to lose one-on-one if the defense gets him one-on-one. Like, start there. Start with that assumption. Because we have yeah. that, what are we going to do to solve that problem, right? And, and moving Prescott off his spot obviously helps that a ton. But they treat a Prescott like a pocket quarterback. Moving him off his spot, getting play action, it makes it easier, easier, makes it easier for Prescott to become. A quarterback who, who can operate outside of the pocket. Those those ideas are linked in terms of play action and running boot concepts. In terms of of, of getting him outside of the pocket, and then you know just running full slide protection and putting a tight end you know out, out out there with him, or putting a wide receiver out there with him to block for him, or just giving him one read motion stuff, which is very collegey in terms of get him out of the pocket, give him a, a deep and, and a short field read, and if he doesn't have either, let him go run and pick up four yards. Like these are these you're yeah. allowed to do this in the NFL, and it was never there with Prescott. <laughs> And that doesn't solve the issue of his pocket presence, but it means he's spending less reps in an area in which he's currently uncomfortable. And so you're you again, it's like an addition by subtraction situation. Well, if that's his weakness, don't ask him to do it. Like oh, mind explodes. That you know these the, these are the little things that can make offense with Dak so much more consistent than it currently has been.
1: And I want to dial back on something that you mentioned because Mike Garafolo was here on BGN Radio on BGN Radio episode 60. We want to talk about that quote that started up a no-duh crap storm from Cowboys Twitter. We'll talk about that right after the break here on the Kist and Solak Show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back here on the Kiston Solak Show episode 101 talking eye on the enemy series with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Okay, so let's put this conversation under the scope of that Mike Garofolo quote here on BGN radio, where he said that defensive coordinators want the ball in Dak's hands. And of course, they want to put it in Dak's hands on third and long. But he wasn't saying that because you want to do that to every quarterback. He's saying that Because Dak is particularly bad in those situations. For instance, I took a look at the last two years, and I have this up on Twitter as well. Third and A-plus, passing plays. Only looking at quarterbacks with over 50 attempts in that span. That narrowed the list down to 36 quarterbacks. So again, third and long, we're looking for conversions here. Who can get you out of a jam when you're behind the sticks. Mm -hmm. And at the top of that list, you've got your usual suspects, right? you got your Patrick Mahomes, your James Winston, Andrew Luck, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. That's your top five. That's a pretty good company to be in. All of them are above 34% conversion rates. At the bottom, only Jay Cutler at 19% is worse than Dak Prescott's 21%. That's what Garofalo was talking about when he's talking about with, with defensive coordinators wanting to get Prescott into those situations. The ability to get the offense out of a jam, the best quarterbacks in the league do it, Dak doesn't. In fact, not only is he the second worst for converting those situations, he's eighth worst for throwing interceptions in those situations. He's towards the bottom for yards per attempt in those situations. For example, Carson Wentz, 9.8 yards per attempt on third and long. Dak, 6.9 massive difference. Mm -hmm. Carson Wentz, 2.1% interception frequency, Dak 3.8%. So don't tell me that Dak is a quarterback that's special by any means, because special quarterbacks at least show up to the dance on third and long. And then you get into, oh, well, Dak does it with his legs too. Okay, so let's talk about that. So why does Wentz have twice as many conversions with his legs over the last two years? Where's your argument when I tell you that Dak only has three conversions on third and long on the ground the last two years? Oh, well, you're just picking out the last two years. You're cherry picking. You. That's normally not the case with Dak because you have you always have to put in his rookie year. That doesn't hold up either. Still, on the ground, went twice as many conversions with his legs over the last three years. And it doesn't hold up to the air when you go through the last few years. 2016 and 2018, third and long, over 100 attempts. Guess who's 27th out of 28th in converting? It's Alan Dak. Smith. Mother Dang prescott
2: <laughs> you missed the yeah i was just confused as the one podcast we were on he's
1: in company with joe flacco case keenum eli manning blake bortles and again bottom of the barrel yards per attempt wenz isn't though he's surrounded by matt ryan and andrew luck now why is that there's a reason it keeps coming up like that no matter how you work it there's a reason that no matter how you look at this stat which stat you look at how many years you go back or even if you throw in scrambling there's a reason the name surrounding Dak prescott looks a lot different than the name surrounding Carson Wentz, and by the way, it applies to the red zone too. Over three years, Wentz is better in completion percentage, touchdown rate, interception rate, conversion percentage, etc., etc., etc. Again, any way you look at it. Last point, I promise you, I'm done, but it needs to be said because I mentioned money downs, which is both third and fourth down. On fourth down, last three years through the air, Carson Wentz converts 54 percent. Dak Prescott, 35 percent. On the ground, once is tied for Breeze for first with 11 first downs with his legs. A lot of them due to QB sneaks. Dak has five. Again, more than double. So I twisted it every way I can. Last two years, last three years, third and long, fourth down, red zone through the air with the legs. In these situations where you need your quarterback to excel and rise the tide to lift all boats, once does it, Dak doesn't. That's the difference between a quarterback you win because of and a quarterback you win with or in spite of. And here's the qualifier, just so I've said it, win healthy, as with literally any other football comparison in mm-hmm. the universe. When healthy, give me Wentz over Dak 100 times out of 100. And I didn't mean to turn this into a whole Dak versus Wentz thing because you know I hate that conversation because of all the bullcrap stats and noise that you see on the timeline during the summer. It's gotten to a point Where we just look at baseline box score stats. We don't look at anything else. I can go through the same thing with pro football focus. And I can show you that in every advanced metric that they have. In every way that they chart these things. Wentz was better than Dak last year. Like there's no other way to look around it. Dak is an average quarterback so Kellen Moore's job as we talked about a lot is getting more than average out of Dak and yes he is going to help but not all of the failures that the offense has seen with Dak is just on Linehan it's also on Dak and there are things that you have to work around him to make this offense go and improve the numbers that I just talked about and we may see that but is he ever going to be in that top half in that top ten, in that top five conversation with those metrics over a period of time like Wentz has? I don't think so.
2: And let's not let's not forget, because and, and like it's wild to me because I could tell you many, many Cowboys fans and analysts I follow on Twitter who regularly complain about Prescott on third down. So it's just when an Eagles blog points it out in, in uh comparison <laughs> right. to Wentz that it becomes, you know, uh reprehensible. But like we can't forget, and this is important for us to remember on the Eagles' side of things, the Eagles' third down conversion rate in twenty seventeen, you know, second year Peterson Super Bowl run was just ungodly. It was unimaginable. Volkers. They couldn't not convert a third down if they tried, and that mm. when it ended, everybody expected it to regress, and it did in twenty eighteen. Obviously, you now Wentz wasn't as healthy. Full took more snaps, whatever. It would not be shocking if we go back in, you know, like if we're in 2021, 2022, so like five, six years worth of this comparison and like, when it's still above Dak, but it's much closer. You know what I mean? Like Dak has gotten better weapons. Maybe Kevin Moore is now a better offensive coordinator. The Eagles astronomical numbers have come down as like the newness of what Peterson was doing on third downs in terms of package plays and, and, you know, half, uh, you know, make half, half field reads, middle field, close middle field, open, all that stuff that you know like the team started to wisen up to that like the numbers regressed down like maybe Wentz is still better than Dak maybe they're close maybe it's a push whatever like Carson's 2017 in terms of his third down conversions were out of this world and we all of us who loved Carson even said and expected you know it's gonna it's gonna go down what does this tell us about Dak and about Dallas I think it tells us one Dallas is run first team Dallas is a team that wants to run the football Dallas does not want to get into third and longs. They want to get into third and shorts. Eagles, conversely, don't want to get into any third downs at all and do a great job at that. But Dallas and Dak want to get into third down and short situations so that they can run the football or they can, I guess, pass it quickly. But this is a team that's very oriented on running the football, especially when they get. you brought up the red zone. The the Cowboys, I remember it for the 2017 season. I I can't tell you the 2018 number, but the Cowboys, I'm pretty sure were the the number one or the number two team in 2017 in terms of running the ball inside of their opponent's 30. Like it's just when they got down there with a second year player and Dak who had an amazing first year as a quarterback, they were still trying to run the football. They are a run first approach on offense. Critical to remember because, and there are other, like the Rams ran the ball a lot. uh, The Bears ran the ball a lot. The Patriots ran the ball a lot. These are teams that made the playoffs last year and they were good teams. There's some differences in terms of how the Rams use their running game, they, you know, lead the league and play action and in in, in uh in in, in pre snap motion. The New England Patriots, right, you know, have Tom Brady slash randomly pull out smash mouth football and also were leading so many games that they ran the ball, you know, subsequently a lot more. The 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 Cowboys are running the ball in tight games in the red zone through through four quarters. You know what I mean? Like, like it's it's not they're just running the ball because they have such a big lead all the time. That is not how the how 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 their run their run plays come and so this is a run first team they're not going to get into third down and long a lot and and when they are in third down and long their offense is not built to win that i keep bringing up amari cooper but it's very important the cowboys have been running isolation routes on late down and distance for years and they for the first time ever have a guy who can win one-on-one in amari cooper and like that is game changing in and of itself because it gives you uh, a guy that you can dedicate a target to one thing that you expect with more versus Lenahan is the ability to get him into one-on-one man coverage more frequently, get him in zones even, you know, God forbid. That would be a big part of improving Dak's third and fourth numbers as well.
1: So a quick note on that that I want to throw in there because Cooper did for the passing game what Zeke has done for the running game. So when Zeke is in, like his run success rate, the, the run success rate for the Cowboys offense shoots up 12%. They didn't have a single explosive run without him on the field. Yards per carry up over a yard and a half. Now when Cooper is in for the Cowboys compared to when he's out, pass success rate shoots up 11%. Yards per attempt up almost a full yard. From week 9 to 17, Cooper was 8th in receptions among receivers, ninth in yards, 4th in touchdowns, 3rd in yards after the catch, which I believe is an underrated element of his game, also 4th in 1st down. So this is a productive wide receiver 1 with wide receiver 1 traits that can separate at will a lot of times.
2: That's going to help. You're going to have a guy who okay, it's third and 7, well, I expect him to be able to win this 12-yard comeback like every time. Right. Huge, right? Very very beneficial big part of it. Fantastic. That being said, and you brought up you when you when you talked about Prescott and you said moderately accurate, right? Prescott does not win throwing with anticipation and he is inconsistent throwing within a structure of timing, right? Like three-step hitch throw. For as long as those are issues, which I would say he's inconsistent. It's not like a like a a locked in problem, like he's bad. He's just inconsistent. For as long as he's inconsistent, he's gonna struggle in those long and late downs where really that's what you're going for. You know what I mean? Like that those are the times where you need your quarterback to throw guys open with anticipation with placement. And that is not the strength of Prescott's game. And so I don't think Prescott will ever be an elite third down quarterback. I don't think he'll ever be an elite quarterback against the blitz i think it'll be a uh, i think where he'll be strong will be outside of the pocket throwing on the move throwing into space maximizing his athletes cooper obviously helps you know your wide receiver can solve problems for you and cooper's a fantastic wide receiver but it is unreasonable to expect prescott to suddenly become a very strong third and fourth down quarterback because of the issues he has already shown Throwing with anticipation, throwing receivers open against tight man coverage, which is what you're going to get on third down. Yeah. The best thing that you can do for Prescott on third down is get him outside of the pocket so that he is the threat to tuck and run. Because he can pick up 10 plus yards on the move, especially if you're getting man coverage, because that means corners, backs are to you. And you're going to be getting man coverage. Yep. You're going to be getting And you can force it to cough, Keller more. So that's where I think you have to move with Prescott and with, with the Cowboys offense. That's, I think, is what your approach is. Has to be to fix those third down numbers.
1: And last note on the offense for the Cowboys before we finally. Yeah, move 40 minutes in, we've talked
2: about one player, one coordinator, and one coach.
1: Yeah. It might have to be a two-parter. Look, before Amari Cooper, the Cowboys were 25th in touchdown drive frequency at 18%. After Amari, 14th. A lot better. 25.3% touchdown drive frequency. In the playoffs, 32%. Mm-hmm. You saw significant spikes after Amari was acquired by this team. So maybe that and the combination of more will help this offense out. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. We've already given some praise for the positional coaches in Bloom, Marinelli and Richard. They ranked eighth for forced incompletions, though only nine interceptions on the year. Uh, I do like this young secondary, though, and we've been following their transition from losing a bunch of snaps a couple years ago. I think it was something like 800, 1,800 snaps mm-hmm. from the defensive backfield to now. I think overall, especially when you include the linebackers, coverage is a strength. Of this team. And the obvious exception is strong safety Jeff Heath, who was abysmal last year, credited with 21 missed tackles as well, single handedly driving up yards after contact league wide. What they need to do is create a little dime package. We talk about big dime, they need a little dime package little done bring heath out let's bring jordan lewis in and then you can put him and anthony brown wherever you want just get heath off the field because like i said outside of him this defense can cover byron jones can ball now he is recovering from surgery he had his hip cleaned up we'll see if he's ready for training camp on that that's something to keep an eye on i already mentioned lewis xavier woods anthony brown cheeto this is a solid young group that chris richard has done well with so i like this group not in love with all of them, and I'm definitely concerned with the depth, especially at safety. Uh, but this defense really carried the team in the second half of the season in 2018, and this is a defense that only allowed over 30 points only once in the season. That was a weird shootout in week 17 with the New York Giants, when everybody thought they would they would have just rested all the starters. On the season, six games under 20 points, including that 13-10 to 10 win over the Saints that Dak almost cracked away at the end. So the question is that uh-huh. defenses can be real volatile from year to year. Rare do you see a team like the Baltimore Ravens that can go boom, 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 year to year, and they're really, really consistent. So is this defense better, worse, or the same As last year, they added Robert Quinn in a trade for a 2026 rounder, which is whatever. It's not 2013 anymore. They draft interior defensive lineman Tristan Hill from UCF, who is Jekyll and Hyde. But like I said before the draft, if there's a fit for Hill, his inconsistent pad level is just inconsistent in general. It's with Rob Marinelli, so you see how that works out, but I don't know if he makes an impact right away as he tries to work himself into the rotation as a rookie. Not much changes with this defense overall. I think the big difference for me is just that the younger guys have another year under their belt of experience, and I I think those rough times of trying to have a new defense gel together, especially that secondary over, which in itself is a boost that we saw start to take hold last year. So I think they have the ability to perform just as well as last year when they ranked ninth in Football Outsiders DVOA on defense, perhaps even better if they can get a secondary pass rusher that can add to what they have in the amazing DeMarcus Lawrence, who's just awesome. I don't think they have that guy unless Taco Charlton like shocks the world and suddenly becomes like not a bust. But this is still a rock solid unit that can keep
2: you in games. What do you think, Ben? Very good secondary, very good linebacking core. And when we talk about Chris Rashard, we're talking about a, a Seattle style of defense. Seattle early two thousand tens, suffocating people, press cover three up in the line of scrimmage. New mold of quarterback, longer, uh, athletic. You know, the height, and they're going to be physical with you, and they're they're going to be able to 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 bail and run deep with you, and they're going to uh, disrupt the early stuff, and they're going to make you hold on to the football. Cool. You got Byron Jones. You've got uh, Shadobi Woozy on the opposite side, playing well, he's sufficient. You've got Xavier Woods deep. Cool. Linebackers. I mean, they had, they had, you know, uh, KJ Wright and they had Bobby Wagner and you could, they could fly. They could fill that, that hole. They could run hook curl, right? You need that. You're going to play cover three. You need your linebackers to be really effective middle of the field zone. We've got Lane Van Der Esch locked it in. Great, great, great player. Mm. Just tremendous rookie season. Jalen Smith, strong player. Don't even need Sean Lee anymore, which is great news because they didn't have Sean Lee for many, many games. I don't know if you remember. Don't even need Sean Lee anymore. I love Jalen's story. Played great last year. Jalen Smith. Very, like, you know, it doesn't need to be linebacker one. They got Layton and, and Smith, incredibly great athlete, run sideline to sideline. They're going to be able to fly around in coverage. That's excellent. The Cowboys defensive line remains not great. And it's still going to be a problem. I mean, you have Demarcus Lawrence. He He's 14.5 sacks in 2017, 10.5 in 2018, right? Not really like a down year. Just just like, you know, like, okay, he's going to be giving you double digit sacks somewhere between 10 and 15. Cool. Great. One of the best one-on-one rushers that we have. Great player. Besides that, it's like you said. There's Tristan Hill as a rookie. You might be starting Malik Collins, who has six sacks in the past two years. He has 11 over three years, which he's played nearly all, like all the snaps for all those three years. You have Tyron Crawford, who just who's a five sack guy, and he's a good, like, you know, like like tweener pass rusher to get in the field on the long lay downs. That's what you get from him. You might start Antoine Woods this year if Tristan Hill doesn't win the job. You know. Who had exactly 1.5 sacks for you last year in a pretty significant role. So you're hoping it's Robert Quinn. You're hoping that, that Robert Quinn, who who last two years, 8.5 sacks in 2017, 6.5 in 2016, or in, in 2018, excuse me, but 2018 was his first healthy season since 2014. So he has not been able to stay on yeah. the field consistently to be able to deliver you eight sacks per year. If you've got Lawrence, healthy, 14 sacks, and Quinn, healthy, 16 games on the other side, eight sacks, you're in a good spot. I still don't think you have great interior defensive guys, and, you know, if... if quarterbacks can climb up into the pocket, that's still an issue. We know that interior pressure is becoming more and more valuable. But Quinn and and Lawrence, if you have Quinn healthy for 16 games, that's swell. That's fantastic. But the Cowboys last year were middle of the road in pressure rate, 33.4%. That was dead 16th, right? Eagles are second, 39.7. Rams are first, 40.1. And uh, the NFC especially, they're coming after the passer with four. And they're going to move the passer off the spot. Cowboys don't have that ability. And I still don't think they have that ability. And so I brought up the Seattle Seahawks. So sure, secondary was famous, Legion of Boom. But this team was rushing. Chris Clemens, Bruce Urban, Michael Bennett, Red Bryant was playing defensive end. Oh, 290 pounds, right? This team had a very (laughs) effective front four rush. And when you're going to play a cover three shell, you need to get after it with four. To the extent to which the Cowboys can't get pressure with four, Byron Jones can only be so good for so long. Anthony Brown can only be so good in the nickel for so long players are going to separate especially when you're playing against zone when you're playing zone coverage and there's going to be able to move the football on you the use i think you see last year when the cowboys face the best offenses they go heavy cover one because they have to stay in man coverage because they cannot get after the quarterback in time and so now you're you're in man coverage situations which you have the personnel to do that when you have the personnel to play man coverage your defense is going to be able to be strong i still think it's a good defense but you're going to be facing good teams with good wide receivers. You're going to be facing teams like the Philadelphia Eagles who run 3-4 deep at pass catcher. Facing teams like the Atlanta Falcons, the New Orleans Saints who run 3-4 deep with good pass catchers. And you're going to be asking your corners to play man coverage four, four quarters, which is incredibly tiring against really, really good athletes and against quarterbacks who can throw guys open one-on-one coverage. You need to be better at getting after the quarterback. Is Robert Quinn and Tristan Hill enough? I'm unconvinced and I don't think so. And that's my big concern with this roster. That's what it comes back to every year. I think it was Brett Coleman, who does like YouTube stuff. He shared, like, what is it about this Cowboys roster that doesn't make them the best roster in the league? And I just responded with a screenshot of their starting defensive line. Like, I don't know how we look over this every year. But, like, people consistently talk about, like, Tyrone Crawford as a thing. He's a five sack a year guy. It's fine, and he's fine. It's fine. That's it. it's rotational. Like you need <laughs> to have a better interior push, a better penetration, and like we can talk about sacks all we want. They're still middle of the road pressure rate, which we know is stickier than sack totals anyway. Right. This is an average pass rush on a team that does not want to blitz a lot because of the coverage shell that they play. Pressure. I mean, like we 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 know this. Yeah. And, and this has been the Cowboys' bugaboo on defense for multiple years now. And, like, the whole thing about Richard and Marinelli is we're keeping Marinelli because of what he can do for the defensive line. He builds up defensive linemen. Okay, he builds up defensive linemen, but his idea of the ideal defensive end is Taco Charlton. That was a Rod Marinelli pick. The first freaking round Taco Charlton was selected in 2017. Where is he? He's nowhere. And so if if, yeah. if you're still keeping Marinelli around for the idea that he's going to be able to develop your defensive line, develop Tristan Hill, work Robert Quinn to be able to get consistent rush with four, I'll believe when I see it.
1: I mean, that's the difference between, you know, developing let's call it below average players into average players and the ability to create above average players from average players. I think there's there's a difference there. So we'll see how that works out with the defensive line. This is the obviously the better unit of of the team. And we spent the least time on it. We do apologize for that. But of course, during the season, we're going to be talking a lot about the Cowboys as those games come up. So let's get to some predictions here. Ben, we were not high on this Dallas team entering the playoffs last year, and they weren't exactly blowing teams out entering January, despite the record that they put together in the second half of the season, that was off of close games, a lot of them anyway. So I've often said that bad teams lose close games, good teams win close games. And I stand by that. But to a certain point, you're due for some regression to the mean either positive or negative in those close games from year to year, especially when you did what the Cowboys did last year. This is from footballperspective.com quote, in close games, Dallas won eight out of 10 games. We would have expected Dallas to win about 44.1% of their non-close games. So by going 8 and 2 in those close games, Dallas finished 3.59 wins above expectation, most in the league. Yep. Last year, unquote, that just doesn't seem sustainable at that level. And everything in history tells us that it isn't the best recent example I can give you here is the Carolina Panthers, when they went to the Super Bowl, six and one in close games next year, two and six in close games. So if they find themselves in a lot of close games, it's about as unsustainable as that Prescott's fumble luck. All that said, while I think the Cowboys may win less close games this year in terms of their percentage, I don't think they're in as many. And I think overall, this is a better team than it was last year because of the possible improvements on offense. They're more talented. You swap more for Linehan. Could be anything, could be a boat with with, with more, but chances are it's better because Linehan was pretty awful. The defense is still extremely well coached and the young talent has another year under their belt, like I talked about with that defensive coaching staff. The over-under on the Cowboys, based on this betting side I'm on, no free ads, is nine games. Nine games for the over-under. This team is capable of repeating 10 wins, in my opinion, especially with a weaker Washington for a longer portion of the year. We think they're just weaker overall. They were strong for about half the season last year, Mm -hmm. then kind of fell off. I think especially when you factor in Warren Sharp of Sharp football's strength of schedule metric where they have the ninth easiest schedule. I was
2: wondering because it seems easy.
1: I think they come out hot out of the gate, 3-0, and boom, 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 Giants, Redskins, Dolphins, and they start out hot that way and then start to cool off. And I think ultimately the division comes down to head-to-head games with the Eagles, yeah. who uh, unless the Eagles can win, you know, 13 games, then yeah, that's going to be the case. I mean, Ben, I mean, really, what's the difference if 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 the Eagles are – Twelve and four, and the Cowboys are ten and six, and it's not decided by head to head. Is because the Eagles swept them, right?
2: Yeah, right, and that's that's the thing. Is like, so I, I was wondering how easy the Cowboys schedule was because if memory serves, Sharp really, really thinks the Eagles schedule is super easy. And if you look at the way the schedule it is, right, yeah. look at the way the schedule is built, right, six games against your division, three games again, or excuse me, four games against an AFC division, four games against an NFC division, which in this year the NFC is just playing the NFC North, um, and so that right there comprises. 14 games of your 16-game season. What about the other two games, right? It's the remaining two NFC divisions. So the Eagles are playing... The, the NFC East is playing the NFC North. So the NFC South and the NFC West are the remaining two. And you get whatever team finished at the same ranking as you did. Because the Cowboys won their division last year, they get the Rams and the Saints. We get the Falcons and the Seahawks, which is... And that's the difference. A big difference, <laughs> right? It's a big yeah. Rams and Saints <laughs> versus Seahawks. Falcons, Hello. <laughs> That's that's yeah. a big difference. Whereas NFC North, I think Vikings, Bears, and and uh, Packers, there's a lot of of similarities there, yeah. and everybody's facing everybody there. So. Accordingly, yeah, and the Eagles
1: are third, I think, in yeah. the strength of schedule as far as easiest. I think the Cowboys are ninth, and that's right. Yeah, and like the thing say, is, the AFC plan.
2: division that the that the NFC East is facing is the AFC East this year, and so we all get three free wins against the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bills. Not wood. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, a chance for definitely a wild card team to be coming out, and I would expect it to be the Cowboys, like you said, head to head against the Eagles is going to be critical. But yeah, like you, if you pencil in losses for them for like the Patriots, for the Rams, for the Saints, it's critical for the Cowboys to either win. One, or, if not two of the Eagles games in order to fight for the division win, given where we expect these teams to be right now. And listen, if the Cowboys are going to be playoff competitors, which circle back to two minutes into this podcast, if you want to hear what I think about the Cowboys and Jason Garrett as a playoff competitor, they should be able to win one against like the Packers. They should be able to steal yeah. one against, like, potentially the Rams late in the season. Right. right. They had to do it against the Saints last year. It's the same thing this year. Right. When they're at home, like, they're going to have, you know, it's going to be Sunday night game. Eagles at home, you know, Cowboys. Like, that should be a game that they really should win if they're going to be a playoff team. And so I have them at 10 and 6. I think they'll win more than nine. Again, a very high variance team because of the nature of what we've got with Kellen Moore, which is a big yeah. fat question mark.
1: So you're the overall nine. I'm the overall nine. And look, it doesn't really matter who wins the division. Once you're in, it survive in advance. And at that point, Anything can happen. So that's going to do it for our Eye on the Enemy Cowboys edition. went a little long on this one because, you know, a lot of stuff about Dak and the offense to talk about. But I think I think we did a decent job covering it. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners? By the way, upcoming this week, Ben, let the gentle listeners know I've got Matt Manichurian and Bryce Rosser from Sports Info Solutions coming on. Possibly some more people probably talking with RJ Ochoa, blogging the boys. Let them know.
2: Okay. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We wish we had more podcasts this week, but we really have nothing planned and we don't know who's coming on. And there's no way of knowing who guests will be and what they will talk about because Michael is bad at planning. He has no plans. And any podcasts that come out the rest of the week were thrown together randomly at the last second. Well, he was scrounging for guests. That's how it happens a lot of times. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, rate and review our podcast. It was a fun time. I don't know if we got to 1,000 yet. I haven't checked. I'll check later, and if we did, I'll be very celebratory. But if not, maybe you could be the 1,000th five-star review, which would be super dandy. So if you go ahead and leave a rating and review on iTunes, we will read it. We will laugh about it in Slack. We will potentially post it on the Internet so that other people can laugh at us as well, as Michael said. Uh, there will be more podcasts coming at you on the Cowboys this week. Uh, potentially a final NFC East, sort of a recap coming as well. But as long as you subscribe to the podcast, they'll all automatically download anyway. and So that will just solve your problem for you. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Benjamin Solveig on Twitter. I'm Benjamin That's I Microsoft. Twitter, and I'm Benjamin NFL. K-I-S-T. Thank you forever. Goodbye.
1: We all we got. <laughs> we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> I almost missed that. End.
2: You got to be ready for the abrupt ending.